Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. We have the Fed FOMC minutes, and what was I thinking? Powell, what was I thinking? Powell, he had it all set up, and then he had to come out and open his mouth. That's right. And uh, and then next is the Treasury market, the Fed's next crisis. Remember in 2008, it was the mortgage bonds, but now is it actually Treasury bonds? And does the market collapse raise stakes for active equity investors? Right? And then we're going to, is it too late for I-bonds? We'll touch on that. That's a big topic. And then I get a lot of questions on that. And then we have the mailbag, to bond or not to bond? Love the mailbag. That is the question, to bond or not to, to bond. bond. That's, or but not first, to bond. Uh, and, and listen, all these topics are interrelated today. So we're really just going to kind of have a free-for-all. Yeah. And we're going to talk about both the stock and the bond markets and what are the next steps and maybe what you should be looking at or what you should be doing as an investor. Now, first, we've got to give the disclaimer, folks. This is never, ever meant to be specific individual investment advice. If you want, need, or desire individual investment advice, get your own, talk to your own investment advisor, or you could seek out moi or Don or Michael Ramos, all three of us on this podcast. We're all advisors, and we'd be happy to either give you a complimentary portfolio review, review your stuff, or whatever your needs are, and we're a holistic planning firm. All right, enough of that. Okay, now, the news is bad, and the markets have been getting hammered. Now, this morning, the jobs number was, quote, better than expected. It was, it was which is normal, which is bad, because that gives the Fed a little more excuse to tighten. And so immediately when those numbers were reversed, the, I'm using the Dow because it just memory it was on the top. Yeah. It was up a couple hundred points, went down to flat. But then immediately after just a couple minutes, the markets rallied and took off and it was off to the races. Because when you look through the data, the, the, the numbers weren't really that great. They weren't really stupendous. And there is a big margin for error. So the markets relaxed and said, OK, it's, it's not going to be that bad. But, but here is the question I have. So there's blood running in the streets. People are scared, but you must have the ability uh, and the flexibility to be, to realize the markets can go either way. They could go up or down. Sure. We could be up for another third leg down, or we could see a rip snort and rally. That's not out of the question. Mm. And if you want to talk about seasonality, the best in the four-year election cycle, the best 12 months are right after the midterms for Congress. Yeah. And it's even better when it's a split when the House is divided, meaning you got one president on one side, and then you got Congress on the other side. So you're kind of in a deadlock and you can't get anything done. People like it when Congress can't do any, when the government can't do anything. <laughs> Seems like All it. right. Now. So, but if not knowing that, that's why you really need rules. Because if you're trying to get back in and you don't want to get clobbered, right? Now, again, this is assuming you didn't just write it all down. Because what people don't realize, and we're going to talk about this right now, bonds. 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 Are down 30%. Bonds are worse than stocks this year. Yeah, unfortunately. Not all stock. I mean, there's some stocks that are down 40, 50, 60, 70% or more. I mean, there's some gross stocks. The story went away, Peloton. Um, um, but 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 
so people are asking and people are scared. So I'm going to go to the mailbag and I'm going to go to this uh, one guy sent me an email. He said, uh, Don, any bonds worth putting any bonds out there worth putting money in? And Don, true. So he sent it to you, but he addressed it to me. No, no, no. He sent this to you and you, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. he sent it to you and, and, and then you copied the response to me. But yes, he said, Dan, cause you are the expert on the bonds. I yeah. did, I did volley it over to you. See how yeah. I worked in a tennis reference there since you're a former I, tennis I saw, pro? I, I saw that. I heard that. I, I like that. I like that. Anyway, Don, any bonds out there worth putting money into? And Don, classic Don, man of few words, That's right. says, we've been buying short-term T-bills for clients, as you know. Dan can comment more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've been buying short-term oh, bonds. Dan, here, Dan here. Fill in the details. You, so, answer, right. you answer his question. I'm too busy. All right. So, so I said, the short answer is no, not yet, meaning time to buy bonds, except for the very uber short-term. See, the yield curve's inverted, and literally bonds paying three months, six months, one year, two year, are actually paying more than if you go out four, five, six, seven years. So why would you take more risk for a lower yield? That 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 can't that's not good. Let's put it that way. Okay. So I said the detailed answer, we have been rotating into four week treasury bills, T bills, making about three and a half percent annualized. Now that's annualized, so you got to keep rolling them over every every week. Um I said this should help increase the return on idle cash while we wait for the bear bear uh to end in both bonds and stocks, the bear market, right? Bonds do poorly during rising interest rates and even worse during inflation. I say this all the time. Inflation is kryptonite to bonds. Mm. Okay. This is why bonds are inverted and why one should go to the very short yield curve, which is what we've done. I said, although the rate of raising rates, the rate of the Fed raising rates. Yes. Um, may, may slow per the Fed. They ha haven't demonstrated yet. They have licked inflation. At some point, when it becomes clear that inflation is under control and rates plateau, that would be a good time to buy bonds. That's the time to buy bonds when they're selling at maximum discount. Okay? Bonds are traded just like stocks. You want to buy low, sell high. You want to buy at a discount, sell at a premium. Yes. When rates are at their bottom, they're at a premium. Mm -hmm. okay? I said, bonds probably have, uh, I, said, I said, but... That would also be the time to buy solid stocks, including gross stocks. I said bonds probably, and this is just an estimate out of my head, bonds probably have an upside of, say, 15 to 20%, maybe a little more. Um, total return, you know, once the bottom starts, we get in a primary upturn, while stocks will have a 40 or 50% or even more upside, just like after COVID. Okay? So, and I'm talking about a longer-term trend. I'm not talking about a few months. I said most investors have experienced a 30% bear market in stocks and bonds. And with all the cash on the sidelines, both bonds and stocks will enjoy a nice uptrend at some point. The question is, the two questions are, when will this start and which do you want to be in? Okay, that's a very fundamental question that investors need to answer for themselves. Because that, that's, what, you know, what, do you, what, what is your choice to be? Again, if you wrote it all the way down, you're kind of buying hold. Now you're trying to hope it's the bottom and you're going to try to hope it goes back up, right? Mm -hmm. This is assuming that you had some cash. You've been following this show and you missed a lot of the downside. Um, um, so then he, and this is a client, by the way, he said these paper cuts are starting to hemorrhage. In other words, they're starting to hurt. And it, it doesn't feel good. Losing money never feels good. It's not, how much, uh, it's not how much you make, but how much you keep, you guys say. Should we get out of the way and do bonds until there was a past path forward? Just asking. Now, he's asking this with the luxury of hindsight, so it's a lot easier looking back and saying, "Hey, um, you know," because I don't know. I mean, right now, today could be the. I mean, we could start a rip, snort, and rally right now. So I said, I sent my answer under your first email because we were trading emails back and forth. I said I gave a detailed answer, but I wanted you to know that bonds have sold off more than the S&P this year. People oh. do not realize that. No. So people are in stocks are going, man, I wish I had bonds. Uh, no, you don't. Um, if you want to do a short-term T-bill portfolio, I can certainly do that and keep rolling forward. I would do a four-week T-bills along with a few close monthlies, meaning one month, two month, three month, four month out. 
uh, and then and then roll them forward uh, depending on the yield. The problem is, and this is the thing, because if you sell your T-bills or zero coupons, you may not get your interest. You may have a, a very, very small gain or loss. I mean, it'd be nothing. It's like being in cash. But I said, but the problem is you could easily miss the initial 15 to 20% rally off the bottom whenever that happens. When the market starts to rally, it's going to rally hard. Okay? There are many folks who have capitulated and sold. There are a few left. Once that happens and the bottom will be established, as long as there aren't any geopolitical events into the election, post-election could get really good. The most bullish 12 months of the four-year political cycle is post-midterm election. The magnitude is uh, greater with a split government. I mentioned that before. Doesn't mean it will happen this way this time, but these are the most consistent seasonality numbers I have seen. Anyway, so that's that's it. And he sent one more. I, I, got, I, I need to clarify. I need to clarify something. If you can show my screen, Zach. Okay. So we we do need to clarify the difference between bonds in general and what we're doing, which is buying zero coupon bonds at a discount with a very short term maturity, returning guarantee of principal. The difference is, and, and look at this screen that I have here. When we tried this earlier in the year, we bought VTIP, which was yielding about 5%. I, I scanned through all of the bond ETFs, mm -hmm. and I tried to find one that was yielding more than the loss on a net asset value. In other words, the quote from the beginning of the year until what it was trading at. The only one that I could find at that time was VTIP. It was down 2% on the year and it was yielding four or five percent so we bought it for a little while uh ended up breaking even on it because the price started breaking down it does no good to hold bonds and this is what happens if you own a bond fund or a bond etf the price will go lower as interest rates go higher and you'll lose more on the value of the etf or the mutual fund than you will make on the principal but if you buy what if you do what we're doing short duration t bills zero coupon they have a fixed date everything that we buy is expiring within a month you get that yield for that period of time and you get 100% return of your principal there's no loss on the value so if you look two examples here these are two short term etfs vtip which is inflation protected it's currently yielding 6.4%, but it's down 7.4% uh, year to date. So you lost a percent on that. SHY is a short term. It's three uh, to one three, to three year average. Yeah, one to three, yeah. ETF, it's one to three year, yeah. It's down 5.67% and it's yielding 1%. So you lost four four and a half percent on your value. There's a very, it's very important to, to distinguish buying individual bonds versus buying bond ETFs or bond mutual funds. There's a big difference. What we're doing is guaranteeing the return of the principal on what we're doing, getting about three and a half percent yield on the 20% of the portfolio that we have allocated to it right now. We're not buying ETFs. We're not buying mutual uh, funds, bond mutual funds or bond ETFs. All right. Thank you, Don. Thunderstealer. Hey, uh, yeah, I was just getting to the next email back. Actually, that's good. Good, good segue into it. No, no, because I'm actually going to bring that up. Yeah. And and so so then he goes on his last email. He said, uh, just looking to break even at Revere. Um, basically, said we had underperformed last year, which we did. Don even did a video on how we did that. He said, um, um, but I would love the uh, 3.5. I was telling about the fixed rate uh, in 2022. I said I I agree. We underperformed last year while buy, buy and hold investors had a big year. The year before, we had a massive year, while everyone had a good year. This year, even though it feels bad because we're down high single digit, I said, um, um, we are having a big year relative to the bear market in both bonds and stocks. And I said, and by the way, this is as bad as the COVID bear market. Okay, it's actually even worse because it's bonds too. Okay. I said, it was the COVID bear that set us up for these huge gains in 2022 in the aftermath of COVID. As you know, there are no guarantees, but we could be seeing the same setup this time around. 
I just don't know when or which of these times will be the big run in stocks. We've had about four or five false starts. And that's what happens off the bottom. It didn't happen in COVID because the Fed came out and said, we're spending $3 trillion of fake money and we're going to buy stuff and we're, gonna, we're putting a floor under this. This time, the Fed is not to the rescue. It's a totally different posture. And that's why it might be tough. Anyway, I said, so the question remains, do we do a short-term T-bill or, or you know, uh, bond portfolio? And that Don just explained why to do that. Why go out more than six months or three months and go two or three, even two, three-year bond portfolios are going down some in value. Long-term bonds are down 30%, okay? That's the maturity, similar to the duration. 20-year bonds may be down, you know, 25, 22, 23%. It's similar to the maturity. 15-year bonds down around 15, okay? These shorter-term bonds, five-year bonds, they're down. So that's why you want to go out very short. I said, um, uh, I said, I personally, me personally, I'm staying in protection because I've seen the results over the last five years. And by the way, we're beating the S&P on a trailing three-month, six-month, one-year, three-year, five-year, all that stuff. This is just a very, very tough market. All right. So now the second, uh, where did I put the second one? I got to find it. Stall for me. Stall for me. <laughs> Vamp, um, please. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Here hey, it is. Michael, don't you really like that <laughs> shirt that Dan has on? That hey, is I, 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 I wore this shirt. That was a nice shirt. It's I nice wore shirt. this in deference to Don. It's my island shirt like Don's. Well, see, right. now what you need to do is follow my lead and wear that every podcast now. I think we, we'll have like a Make Hawaiian that day. That's what uh, yeah, yeah, Zach right. was saying before Hawaiian the show. Day. We ought to have a Hawaiian day shirt. I think boys. one day we ought to have a Guayavera day yeah. shirt. And I need to get uh, Don a Guayavera. I guess that means we need to get one for Ted, too. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, so this is the second and related question, Okay. Uh, this is a, another client actually said, you mentioned bond ETFs on your podcast last Saturday. This is a week ago, but I'm confused. If one buys an individual bond on expiration, he would get all of his money back plus interest. That's correct. Yes. So when you buy a bond, whether it's newly issued. So the old adage in our, in our industry is what's the difference between a 10 year, a 20 year bond with 10 years to maturity and a, and a 10 year newly issued bond. The answer is nothing. As long as they have the same risk profile. So mm. it's how much left is on the bond, but they have a specific maturity date. He goes, will one get back all their money plus interest in a bond ETF? The ETF will have the protection of diversified bonds because you have a whole basket of bonds, but is the protection too costly for, uh, compared to owning individual bonds? Okay. So I said, uh, so-and-so, we'll call him Bob. Bob, yes, individual bonds have a maturity date, so you know your principal is due along with the scheduled interest payments. In other words, you know your yield to maturity. As long as they don't go default, you, you know exactly what your return is when you buy that bond. Most bond mutual funds, there are some that are like uh, maturity bonds that are ETFs that are created that they buy all bonds in 2030, and it's just, it, 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 they shut that ETF down in 2030. It's only for a certain length of time. But most bond funds um, um, uh, ha don't have a maturity date. So re um, let me see. Uh, most bond mutual funds, including bond ETFs, are a pool investing in bonds. You own a share of that pool of bonds, and they are constantly rolled over and invested, but you don't own any single bond in particular. What is your maturity date? of the bond mutual fund or ETF question mark. There is none. Okay. So retail investors per, uh, generally performance chase. So when interest rates are high and they come down and drop those bond, those bond ETFs all have a big capital gains built in and they had good performance because bonds rates started easing. They're not rising. Yes. Right. So now these People are going, wow, look at that bond fund. It returned, oh, similar to stocks. Oh, it was good as stocks. I'm going to go into that. And so now they're putting their money in when these bonds are selling at a premium. And this bond fund manager has to go buy a bunch of bonds when they're selling at a premium. In fact, um, I said the fund could even sell a few bonds generating capital gains for the fund to make the investors look good, feel good. That's called window dressing. But you could be down on your investment and still have to pay capital gains on the bond. So if you buy a bond fund in October 
at the end of the year, you could get capital gains but be down 5%, like Don was saying. In those bond funds, that VTIP he was talking about, it's down 5%, but it paid 3% interest that you had to pay tax on if it's not an IRA. So you're paying capital gain, you're paying interest on, quote, phantom income because your net total return, you're down, okay? So, um, um, so it's not when you buy the bond, I mean, buy the fund, it's when the fund bought the bond, okay? I said, then when rates go up and bonds begin to lose value, people hit their pain threshold, and so they sell the fund and they have to liquidate exactly when bonds are selling at a discount and the fund manager should be buying bonds, not selling, but he's getting net redemptions. This is a structural problem with most bond funds. What, and that's what Don explained. So what I'm telling you folks is right now, people are finally capitulating saying, uncle, I'm done. I can't handle this anymore. Okay. I'm out. And, and so they, the bond fund manager has to sell bonds to give you your money back. He really should be buying bonds. Okay. By the way, stock funds have the same problem. When they have a really bad year, they get sold and people want their money back. And that's, you know, at the bottom of a bear market, you either got to get out pretty early or then you kind of got to stay the course. It's kind of a tough decision. And that's the thing. I, I tell this story all the time. I interviewed Art Bonell. He was the Bonell Growth Fund of the 90s. He was a darling of Wall Street. He was a tech fund. He had Dell with all the Dellionaires and he had WorldCom, which went bankrupt. But he was the go-to growth fund manager. And I was interviewing him in San Antonio live. He was in the studio. And so he leaned over to me at a commercial. He said, Dan, it's it was January of 2000 or December of 1999. He leaned over and said, Danny, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, what's wrong? He said, I got $40 million of new money in my fund last month. I said, well, Art, that sounds like a good problem to have. He said, you don't understand. I've got to go buy bonds at these price. I mean, buy stocks, buy tech stocks at these price. And what he was telling me was, you know, these tech stocks have PEs of hundreds or some even a thousand or higher PEs. And he knew damn good and well it was way too high, but he had to go buy because he had new money because people saw his performance in 98 and all through 99. And so they were performance chasing. Then at the bottom, after the tech wreck, he's getting net redemptions because everybody's saying uncle, and that's when he should be buying. So mutual funds have structural problems built in because they have to be fully invested at all times. They can't get, most of them can't get defensive and move to cash. So anyway, I said, well, I already answered my own question. I said, there are a few bonds with maturity dates, say 2030, 2035. They buy a pool bonds at maturity date and then they, with no little or no management. Okay. Investors know when that fund will mature. So my question again is going, uh, if my question is, are you going to do that? And do you have enough? And do you have enough money? Why not just buy and manage individual bonds? So that's what Don was saying. If you're going to do a bond portfolio and, and, and hold them longer, first of all, you need to do it at the right time, which we're getting very close. And then you need to do individual bonds and kind of hold them for a while when rates drop. Now, so he said, but to answer your question directly, no, most bond funds have no maturity date, no guarantee of principal. Thanks. And he said, thank you for the answer. I can understand. I see no benefit in investing in bonds without maturity dates. And I said, correct. If you're it, only if you're going to trade them for the shorter term. So if we're going to trade bonds based on a chart, we'll use a bond ETF. But it's a shorter term thing. We're not buying them and holding them to maturity. So I think I got that. So folks, let's talk very quickly about how bonds work. So when interest rates drop, bond prices go up in value. When interest rates go up, bonds go down in value. So remember I told you what is the difference? So when a bond is created, they, they're $1,000 par value. That's just a stated rate on the bond, okay? It's like a, a stock being a $1,000 stock. And Don was saying, does the loss in the price offset the interest? It's like a dividend on a stock dividend. I get a 3% dividend on my uh, DuPont stock, but if DuPont's down 25%, did I make money? No, I'm down 22% and I pay tax on the dividend, right? So it's, you, you don't want to do that. In any way, these, these uh, bonds, you don't want to, you don't want to hold uh, uh, hold them, you want to wait till it's time to do that. Okay. So now the question remains, now that we're um, heading into this election cycle, 
what is the choice to be? People are scared and people have hit their pain threshold. They're nervous. And most people have capitulated. But when the final people capitulate and throw in the towel, that's when you're truly going to establish a bottom. And the markets will rally very strong before that happens. So when that does happen, and by the way, bonds and stocks move in tandem a lot of times a lot because they're with the uh, uh, with the cycle with the cycle interest rising interest rates is bad for both stocks and bonds yeah. right it's bad for so dropping interest rates and stimulating the economy is good for both stocks and bonds but what I was talking about how bonds work so if, when when they crush, when they underwrite a bond Morgan Stanley and Merrill Lynch and Fidelity are underwriting a bond for a company and based on their the going rate in the economy, just let's just call it 6% for their class of bond, their double A rated investment grade, whatever bond, is 6%. So they put 6% stated rate on that bond, right? By the time they crush it and print it, everything's electronic now, but say they were going to make a bond uh, certificate and issue bonds, by the time they underwrite it and get it out of the economy, it's six months or a year later, right? But they've already put the stated rate on the bond. If rates had dropped and now rates are at 4% for that same level of bond, right? And my stated rate on the bond is 6%. Isn't my bond more valuable than the 4% bond? You're getting 2% more. So that's going to bid up my price on my bond. They're not going to pay me $1,000 a bond when it's newly issued. They'll pay me maybe one, it's 1100 meaning $1,100 a bond. It'll sell for a premium. What that's doing is it's setting the, my 6% stated rate, my coupon rate on the bond, to the effective rate in the economy. It's making it 4%. Conversely, if rates had risen to 8%, my bond would sell at a discount, maybe 950 that's, that makes that stated coupon rate of 6% now 8%. So what that does is really the, the bond prices are really setting the existing bonds in the, that are out there that are being traded to the effective rate in the economy. So you have two interest rates. You've got your coupon rate, your stated rate on your bond, and then you've got the effective rate in the economy, the overall in, that changes all the time. So the prices are going up and down, setting the expectations of that, the, the interest rate. Okay, It's making all the bonds kind of equivalent for that same risk category. And so that's why it's important. So my point is, when interest rates finally start to peak, or even it looks like the rate is slowing. So think of interest rates as a clock. 12 is the top, 6 is the bottom. You want to start buying bonds if you're interested in bonds at, say, 11, 11.30, before they hit, once they hit noon or start rolling over and coming down interest rates, bonds are already going to be rallying off the bottom. And so will stocks, by the way. Likewise, you want to start taking profits on your bonds at, at, at 5, 530, because once it starts hitting 6 and once it's obvious they're starting to go the other way, you're going to start losing money in the bonds. And those built-in capital gains, those premiums, are really your interest payments paid in advance up front, and you get capital gains now, not ordinary interest income. So that's why people that hold bonds to maturity don't understand, well, I mean, there's some endowment funds that need to do that for whatever. But if you're really trying to make money, you actually would want to be a little more active and trade some bonds and be a little bit more active. But there are times to use ETFs, bond ETFs. They're just a tool. And we use a lot of technical for that and that shorter term. And then there's time to use bonds as individual bonds for a bond portfolio. Okay. So I, hopefully I explained that pretty well. Now, the question I want to talk about is when this finishes, both these markets are likely to rally. I mean, it's possible stocks go up and bonds continue to sell off, but it's also possible that if we both take off together, what are you going to want to do? Are you going to want to actually own bonds? Or are you going to want to own stocks because stocks are going to have a lot of potential for the upside, okay? All right, now, one last thing. I, I do have this article. It says uh, market collapse raises stakes for ac active equity investors. And basically, it's saying that because the market is 
so down and we've entered this bear market, is it now attractive for investors to come in and, you know, value investors, bottom fishers, whatever you want to call them? Is it now time to start loading up with stocks? They're saying, is it time to start getting back into the market? Because this is assuming that the active investors got out of the way and missed it all. It's a pretty heady article. It talks about the discount rate effect and the um, uh, fundamentals, uh, uh, the margins uh, with earnings. And it talks about the housing market. We put that in the show notes. It gets a little heady, so I don't want to just grind the show to the halt to, to talk about that. And then the treasury market, this is also, he's talking about the next Fed, the next bond crisis could be the Fed, the, the treasury bonds. Will liquidity dry up? Because you've got Russia now getting rid of treasury bonds. China's not buying as many. Japan just got rid of some to help the yen, to support the yen. So is is the was the treasury going to be the only buyer of treasuries? That's also kind of a heady article. Uh, I put it in the show notes. You can re- and if you want to call me on those, I'm very good in economics. The problem is, I tell you, by the way, so is Michael. The problem with economics, it's a lagging indicator. It doesn't. It, you 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 do better off watching the technicals to tell you how to uh, do that. So really, the theme of the show is: Is it time to get in? And if so, how and when? And if you're going to do that, are you going to lean towards stocks, bonds, or some kind of mix? So that's, that's the backdrop, and we're going to talk about that right after we talk about what the Fed did. So, Michael, you want to go over what the Fed, uh, by the way, the FOMC Fed market minutes are also in the show notes. Yes. So you can read there, and it was really only two pages, and it was very docile, very smooth, and the market started racing up. And then Powell came out and opened his mouth and puked all over the place and basically kind of contradicted what the note said, sort mm-hmm. of. I mean, he was just more hawkish and the market turned off and sold off yesterday. Now you're seeing a bounce. Maybe the uncertainty's out of the way and now we see a bounce. All right, Michael, what was the difference in stance and what, what was the Fed saying? All right. <clears throat> so just want to apologize for the... Um... If I sound a little nasally on this podcast, I'm a bit under the weather. It's um, it's gotten pretty cold here in Santa Barbara. I don't know what it's like in um in Texas or Florida. You guys are wearing the Hawaiian shirts, so it must be must still be warm. But I it's, I'm um, wearing a sweater, but you know you can't see me. Cold so. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like hot. It's super cold, cold in what the morning like and overnight, 90? and then during the day it gets gets hot again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it gets cold in Santa Barbara. It's like uh, like below fifty um at night, like high high. Where 40s. is Santa Barbara relative uh, to San Francisco and South North LA, of LA? LA obviously, yeah. So. North. Yeah, it's North almost LA, in between uh, San it? Francisco and. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, Michael, go ahead. Um. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, well, like basically the. The most important thing um, that's going on in the market right now is is really um, the Fed and and inflation. And um, what Fed watchers and the market reacts to is um, basically the the um, the notes and and the um, the press conference. What um, the press release, what what Powell reads, is almost I would say ninety percent similar every um, every FOMC. But there is one or two sentences that are different um, that makes all the difference. And um, in this conference, um, what he said that was different and the market initially rallied on was um, he added this this one sentence that said, in determining the pace of future increases in the target range, um, the, and the target range is, is that, um, that interest rate, um, the committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation and economic and financial developments. And as soon as the market read that and heard Powell say that, it rallied. And um, the issue then later um, was that in the conference, when he was asked a a question about it, he said that um, he doesn't believe monetary policy has a long lag anymore. And in our hyper-financialized economy, things are priced in almost immediately. So that kind of contradicts what he wrote in that note. And then um, some some speculation on that, what, what uh, like Fed watchers believe is that the only reason they included that sentence 
is so that there wouldn't be dissent because there's there's several governors um, on the Fed that actually vote and um, they didn't want to release a, a, a statement with um, dissenters. They wanted it kind of to be unanimous. So um, he included that for the doves, which are the, um, the, the ones who want less rate hikes. And then the hawks are the ones who, who want a, a further increase in rate hikes. Um, and Powell, from what it seems, uh, pretty much Powell and another governor, Chris Waller, are really the two mo most hawkish members of the um, of the FOMC. And um, they included that sentence to perhaps um, appease some of the doves and, and make it seem as though they are willing to um, be more data dependent. But it, he, he was also asked certain things um, about employment and um and and how the market's responding to um to to these these rate hikes and he says um that that because they're priced in immediately he he doesn't really see too much damage from it at the moment and he's not really worried that the economy is going to crash because the the market and the economy seem to be handling rates um extremely well and um what's been priced in doesn't look so bad and um Basically, all that matters now is um, the the terminal rate, and the terminal rate is where the the Fed will stop hiking. At, at what um, interest rate the the Fed will be be done and will pause. And once they get to that level, they're expected to hold it for a while. But that level now um, has has gone up to about five and a quarter percent, and the current target range is between. 3.75 and 4%. So that that means that there's still um still about 150 basis points of uh hikes to go. So whether they hike the next meeting 75, 25, 50, that doesn't really matter so much. It's about what the destination is and the market's now repricing at a higher terminal rate. Um so we got some some employment data today and it it supports um further rate increases and what Powell's been saying, um, labor market continues to be strong. And he actually made a comment as well, where he said that the um, the year over year change um, from the numbers we got today, um, the year over year change in um, in in wage increases was uh, about 4.8%. And in the conference, he says um, year over year change in hourly earnings of 5% is, is way too high for, for the 2% inflation target. So um, they need inflation to drop, and they want to accomplish that by um, hitting the the um, the jobs market, and um, they need those those hourly um, wage increases to to drop. So until we get that, until we get unemployment higher, um, and and that um, wage growth lower, um, they're they're gonna continue to remain um, tight, and and that's sort of what we're what we're seeing and what what he's talking about. So that that was. Um, that was my take, and and also uh, like in terms of just um, research and data I look at. I mean, some of these thoughts are my own, but most of it I I do get from from people who are more experienced and smarter than me. And um, a resource that I, I highly recommend the audience look at. Um, I mean, this guy is just a wealth of information. Um, and he he used to be a um a, a trader on um a trader for the Fed. He worked on the, um, he was basically in charge of, of quantitative easing. Um, so he's got a, a wealth of, of knowledge and information of how the Fed actually works. And he, he produces this material for free and is um, very active. He's got a website and a Twitter account. His name is Joseph Wang. And I think on Twitter, his, his handle is like Fed guy, something like that. I, I, I highly suggest um, checking him out and, and, um, listening to some interviews and and the material he puts out because that's where I get a lot of my information from and it's it's just really helped me understand um the fed and fed policy and sort of what's affecting the market so um shout out to to joseph and now now folks here's here, listen to what michael said there this guy is at, was actually the chief trader for the fed Trading fast and furious during quantitative easing during 2008, the financial crisis. I would have loved to have been a fly on that wall. Can you imagine the phone calls he's getting on the bat phone from the Fed and the ivory tower from, uh, I guess that was Bernanke at the time? Yeah. Hey, hey, my, I mean, that that is pretty awesome. Anyway, what is his Twitter handle again, Michael, for the listeners? 
Uh, um, at, here, let me find it exactly. It's, um, it's uh, at FedGuy21. I was just looking him up. Yeah. FedGuy21. F-E-D-G-U. Yeah, he's, he's um, I, I've listened to a lot of people talk about the Fed, and usually they've got, um, it's more speculation and their opinions. And for the most part, um, it's, it's difficult to understand. So what they're saying is, um, not that what they're saying is difficult to understand, but the fed in general. And, um, a lot of people I've noticed have, have wrong, um, assessments and opinions. So th this guy, um, is, is the most, um, accurate and, um, sort of not biased. He's just very fact-based and he, he explains things in a way too, that are, that are like, he he makes these difficult concepts more palatable. It, it's still not super easy to understand, but it's oh, it's um, very very complicated. A little a little yeah. easier, yeah. Folks, listen, it's very complicated, and bonds are actually is complicated stocks. People don't don't realize that. In fact, most of guy in advisors in my industry don't even understand that. If you have, they don't even know what convexity is. Ask your advisor. Do you know what you know what duration is for a bond portfolio? Do you know what convexity is? And watch his eyes glass over. That's the second way that there's two things that uh, uh, affect bond prices is duration and convexity. So if you only know half of it, <laughs> you're missing you're missing it. Um, all right, one last thing on bonds. It's it's Fed Guy twelve. Fed Guy twenty one ah. is an imposter. Oh, excuse me. I got I got played. Fake news on my own on my own <laughs> broadcast. How could I? Fed guy twelve. I'm excuse me. Yeah, Fed guy Fed guy twelve. Yeah. Ah. Uh -huh. oh, good. Gets I, the best uh, of me oh, once good. Again. Yeah, I have the right one. Just want to make sure. That's pathetic that they that you get all these imposters and you got to be really careful on social media to find out the real ones. All right. One last thing on bonds because I did get another question. Well, no, I'm sorry. There's an article. It's also in the show notes. Is it too late? For I-bonds, they sold more in October than all of 2021. In fact, their site crashed. There were people calling and bitching. Folks, is that really a, a question? I mean, so last year we didn't have massive inflation and rates weren't that high yet. Well, inflation started eating up, but we, rates weren't that high yet. So last this last month, at the end of the month, was the last day that you could lock in the, what is that? Uh, nine point six two percent. It was nine, almost ten percent, and you because it resets every month. Well, this next month going forward, it's only six point four seven. So that's a big because the month, the year over year inflation data is showing that it's starting to abate. That's not really what's happening. What's really happening is it. Do you see inflation eleven months down the? In other words, the dichotomy from. Uh, last month and 12 months ago, inflation hadn't started heating up yet. But then once inflation starts heating up, the difference between the right now and 12 months ago is less. And so you'll see less of a spread. Anyway, um, the only problem with the I-bonds is you've got to order them Treasury Direct. You can only get 10000 electronically per individual, and you can get 5000 paper with the tax refund. So you can tell your tax refund per, per, uh prepare hey instead of getting give me 5000 refund give me some give me some i bonds mm. anyway they last 30 years um um you've got to hold them for at least uh let's see 12 months before you can cash them in or you forfeit 3 months of interest so anyway they want you to hold them for a while um i'm sorry if you cash them in before 5 years you forfeit the 3 months of, yeah, of interest years. yeah Okay, and you can you got to wait for one year to redeem them. Anyway, so those are the, so I love the I bond idea because they're treasuries and they got a maturity date. The problem is they I can't they're thirty years long, but you can redeem them whenever you want after one year and get the interest. The only problem is I can only do little small amounts. I can't do very much. But, but right. also Dan, Dan also um because I, I I looked into I have a lot of friends asking me about the series I bonds and uh, another issue with them is that um. They the 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 rate uh, resets every I believe it's either six months or three months. So if um, they're super high right now because on a year over year basis that um, inflation rate is high, but if inflation comes down in in the next twelve months um, and they reset at a rate that's I don't know zero percent or, or super low, then then it um and then also if you want to redeem them sooner, you lose three months. So it may not even um play out as as expected. Right. I, I want to do a little more research on that because I thought that that was the case. 
I thought that was the case. It's not in this article here, but it did. Uh, but I was looking online, and it was saying once you lock that in, that they didn't reset. It's just that each month the new bond they issue each month resets, not the actual one you lock in. So if you lo- so I want to do a little research on that. We'll clear. We'll get back to you, folks. We'll clarify that because yeah. that I have gotten conflicting answers on that from a couple different sources. All right. So now. Now we're going to get to the stock nerds red meat part of the show. What in the heck do I do now from here going forward? And again, this is assuming I didn't just write it down 25, 30% and I've got some cash on the sidelines and what do I do? So with that, Don, I'm going to flip it over to you. So Michael pretty pretty much went through in uh, in more detail what I touched on in uh, Wednesday's video. I was really not a happy camper doing Wednesday's video. I, I hate losing money, and I hate it even more when it's due to incompetence of somebody that's supposed to set a tone of consistency for the markets. Uh, I was a I've always pretty much been a big defender of Jay Powell. He made a, a one big mistake in December of uh, 2018, which he then corrected. Uh, and I thought he had been very clear in his message ever since then. But I, I, I did read the same thing that Michael did about they stuck that, uh, that sentence in to pacify the doves. And what a bunch of nonsense that, that just is and what that led to. Um, and it's it's followed up what I mean today has been one of the nuttiest days in the market just just piling it on top of everything that <laughs> give, it it all back. <laughs> give it we've all had, back give it all back we've had yeah we've had uh so we were up a percent pre-market going into the 830 jobs report the jobs report came out we dropped immediately a full percent to flat and then we proceeded to slowly rise into the open. We gapped up 1.6%, uh, and that was the top. We pulled all the way back about a percent and a half to just barely above flat. Let me bring up the uh, S&P 500 and put it on a five-minute chart here. We pulled all the way back uh, to a little bit, and then we had a uh, massive rally back up made higher highs into 3800 resistance so a, a 2% rally off of the low and now we've had over a 2% fall since uh 10:45 eastern time this morning so in the last hour and 15 minutes we've dropped over 2% and we're basically flat flatline now on the day uh and it gets back to something that we that we a rule that we adhere to and that's you have to err on the side of caution when you're under the 200 day moving average because of the threat of the uh the massive bear losses everybody that watches us is familiar with the the chart that i uh, pull up all the time uh and we have dan you said we've had like five or five or six false starts we've actually exited and re-entered the market 14 times this year at Revere. And when I say re-entered, that means more than uh, more than a 30% allocation of the uh, S&P 500 risk. Sometimes it was just a toe stepping in and immediately getting back out for uh, minuscule losses or very small gains. Uh, sometimes it was a several percent gain. Uh, the last two times it's been losses of over a percent. And the email that you uh, talked about with the paper cuts, yeah, they're unavoidable. You, there is no such thing as waiting for the market to give an all-clear signal. There's absolutely no such thing as an all-clear signal in the market. They don't ring a bell at the top. They don't ring one at the bottom. And they certainly don't ring one when the, the quote-unquote coast is clear. The market will bottom when the fundamentals are terrible, when we're in a recession, just like the market tops when everything is looking A-OK. You have to respect the price action. But what I do know is if we're, when we're down 8%, the market was down 20%. When we're down 9%, the market's down 22%. When we're down 10%, the market's down 24%. We will bottom and the market will bottom at a 
massively higher level compared to what, when I say we, I mean Revere clients will bottom at a much higher level than where the indexes will bottom. One of these bottoms will be the bottom. We don't know when it occurs and there is no risk-free entry back into the market. We, we never want to risk. Ideally, we risk no more than 1% when we t step a toe back into the market. Uh, sometimes we get we start building on gains and you have a massive reversal like you did on JPAL. And by the times our stops get taken out, we might lose a little bit more than a percent. And that's the situation we're in uh, currently. But these are in the big scheme of things, paper cuts and a big rally will completely white out over these paper cuts. I should say green out because our accounts will be going higher and will be compounding from such a higher percentage versus people that rode the market down 24, 26, 28 or more percent. Um, today is was turning into what looked like could be uh, a very positive day for the market. And that was an hour and a half ago. Now it's looking like it could be a very negative day for the market and we may make lower lows relative to yesterday. Uh, it's, it's a bitch, frankly, it's difficult it's there's nothing risk free. We do our best to keep our losses minimized, and um, the the proof is in the results that Dan referenced earlier, where across all time frames going back over the five years, we're beating the S and P 500 and we're crushing the 6040. Um, stock to bonds, 60 stocks, 40 bonds. Balance, balance. Yeah, and. Um, it's okay to be wrong. We're wrong frequently, but we're wrong small. I understand the paper cut. People don't like them. I don't like them. I was pretty wound up on day because I hate losing money. Um, and <laughs> which is what got you into this business in the first place after the tech wreck. That's exactly, that's exactly right. That's, <laughs> that's kind of ironic, you know, uh, watching friends and family members, including myself getting destroyed first back, uh, when the tech bubble burst and then again with 2008 by 2008 i knew enough to stay out of the way for myself but not for other people that i knew um and i'll be going through my backstory again later today i'm presenting to uh, dr eric wish at the university of maryland he teaches uh, a, a, a stock market class to uh, he's got over 250 students. It's It's been a life-changing course for a lot of people, including Richard Moglin. Uh, Richard was all set to be an electrical engineer or an electronics engineer. Uh, he took that class. He got hooked. And uh, Richard has just done an, an absolutely phenomenal job. Yeah, from TraderLine. From, trader, yeah. from TraderLine, yeah, building up his presence. And and when he interviewed me in mid-June, he opened us up to a much wider audience than previously didn't know anything about us. And we hear all the time, nobody, when anytime they interview, a lot of people say anytime they interview five advisors, we're the only ones that talk about uh, downside protection. So uh, we have a niche, we, uh, we have a, a strategy that, um, and rules that are part of that strategy that, uh, over the test that will stand the test of time. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty pleased with what we've done year to date, but I'm not happy short term over the last month uh, with these nasty reversals. Uh, but it is what it is. And as always, the, we'll, if we're wrong, we'll be wrong small. Uh, we took a position this morning and so far we're wrong small on it. I'm going to explain what we did. Uh, we're always scanning for sectors and stocks within those sectors that are acting well. And we noticed big cap biotech setting up extremely nicely, including uh, I'm going to go through the top five charts in this IBB. There's there's two biotech indexes. IBB is big cap biotech. XBI is more diverse and it's more uh, uh, the speculative biotech. Uh, speculative biotech not acting as well because growth stocks aren't acting as well in this type of market. So. You see, I had an alert set at XBI if we got over this uh, cluster of moving averages, but also had one on IBB, the IBB one uh, fired. And let me go through the five uh, biggest holdings in IBB, and you can see their recent reaction to earnings. And these five make up 35% of, uh, of this ETF. I don't know which one is going to be the winner, so I didn't 
feel comfortable getting into one or the other. Gilead, uh, on their earnings report, they made an investment in, uh, I think it's a CAR-T company, uh, a while back, and they're finally reaping the benefits of that. You can see the gap at on earnings, uh, on volume, uh, five-day consolidation and moving out higher today. Now the market, you can see it's bringing it back along with everything else as we've gone from up 2% to just barely negative now. So Gilead's the first one. Amgen is the second one. Uh, Amgen reported earnings initially gapped lower, but right into this 260 resistance. Uh, Formerly resistance, you can see couldn't get above 260, couldn't get above 260, couldn't get above 260. Got above 260, pulled back, and held 260. Uh, this is a, an issue of what was resistance turning into support on this pullback. As long as Amgen survives this 260 pullback, uh, the reaction to earnings, which was initially negative, uh, it's well off the bottom. The third one is Vertex. This has been in and out of the 21 over 21 list for a while as it's been just tightly consolidating. While it's consolidating and the market is coming down, that means its relative strength line is gonna go higher. It had a big, nasty, unexplained shakeout down 7.5% the day before its earnings report. Got it all back and then some on its day of earnings. That's putting in a little bit of handle now, a little bit of a handle now at the top of this flat base. That's the third one. Regeneron is the fourth one, R-E-G-N. This one's uh, more choppy, uh, but you can see it had a big gap up on a phase three result, pulled back, gave up most of it, tried to break out again, tried to break out twice, now pulling back on its earnings report. Uh, note the negative uh, EPS and sales growth, but a lot. Of, this is trading a lot on uh, the, the outlook of its pipeline. Bounced at the 50-day moving average, uh, putting in a nice little handle to this uh, flat base. And finally, the fifth one is Biogen. Uh, people are probably aware of Biogen's Alzheimer's positive result that they recently had. On 928, it gapped up 40%. On 1,255% volume, massive volume. Since then, it's pulled back, formed a very nice base, putting in a little bit of a handle right now. Uh, on earnings, didn't really do anything. Uh, again, they're they're looking for future growth down the road. But the bottom line is uh, these five big cap biotechs make up 35% of this IBB ETF, and we thought the risk reward was good uh, relative to the cluster of moving averages there. Had this move up off the lows and now pulling back for uh, three days. Uh, and again, bought a 5% position. Our stop will get us out before uh, a 0.2% loss, which is our maximum. 0.2% uh, versus the overall portfolio. Uh, so you can see here 3.8% uh, versus the 50-day moving average as soon as I saw that as the worst. I knew our position at 5% was fine as these moving averages will creep up, but um, we're down about a percent on it since we bought it this morning. But biotech and IBB, big cap biotech to be clear, uh, and IBB is what I wanted to focus on today. Uh, from a sector standpoint, as far as the S&P 500 goes, um, you, you saw that uh, that five-minute chart down, up, down. Uh, we're barely green now, up a tenth of a percent. Uh, the lows of yesterday at this 36.98 lows are very critical. If we break below that, uh, we'll take a look at the daily chart. Then we're starting to revisit uh, these shakeout lows, and this shakeout may not have been a shakeout. This is this was an inflection point on 1013. CPI data was bad. When you get bad data, but you're already down seven days in a row, and you then you gap down, that's a classic rubber band setup. The rubber band can only stretch so far, uh, and we did put in a bottom there. Shook a few more people out the next day, but had a 10% rally off of the low, and now Jerome Powell doing his best to give that all back, bringing back the below the moving averages right now. Uh, the 50 day, the declining 50 day, the declining eight day and the declining 21 day are all within a percent of themselves. So it's a very big resistance area on the way back up. And that's where we failed today, uh, right at that area around third, between 3780 and 3800. We failed on the open, we failed on the rebound. Who knows by the end of the day, we could be right back up there, but we're playing it light. 
Uh, the market calls for playing it light. Yesterday, I commented in the video how my screen was 80% green while the indices were very red. Today, the indices were red and my screen was 60%, I'm sorry, earlier today, the indices were green and my screen was 60% red. So growth uh, not working today. It's one of the reasons why we created the G6 and we keep a close eye on it. When we see those stocks underperforming, we're gonna stay away from small growth. The only uh, small growth stock that we own right now is a 2% position in PI. Uh, then we own two oil stocks, uh, our short SPXS, and we added biotech today. So um, the net result is we're 0.06% long relative to the S&P 500. Uh, and stops are in place as always. The light at the end of the tunnel, one of these times it won't be the freight train, it'll truly be a light at the end of the tunnel where we'll come out the other side and rally. Uh, we don't know exactly when. We know we'll keep our losses small until it does happen. And when it does happen, there'll be a big rally and plenty of time uh, to make back the uh, the losses, both in people that have been participated in the market and for our, uh, our own clients. So that's my summary on the market, the overall outlook, uh, how we're feeling here at Revere, the biotech sector. Uh, and how we're positioned, and uh, that's going to wrap it. From well, that, 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 that was a great synopsis, Don. I want to read something real quick because we've we've got this text. We got a Revere text. And we go back and forth with all of us, and this is something that Ted wrote yesterday when the markets were. It was really big tech yesterday. That it was yesterday, the day before yesterday, I think. I just took it on the chin. He said, um, "Here's something that I've been seeing in the market internals. Breath looks a lot healthier than the price percentage of stocks." Above 50-day uh, uh, in the S&P, still holding strong, and uh, above its rising 21 exponential moving average and flattening 50-day simple moving average. Same with percentage stocks above 200-day. So basically, what he was saying was the breadth was not as negative as the market was yesterday, and that's kind of what you got to pay attention to because there's a lot of big, big bellwethers that drive the indices. So you could actually turn into a scenario were some mid cap or some stock, you know, there'll be some diamonds in there that you can pick. You can do individual stocks, yet the indices will be very difficult. And, you know, I mean, if, if everything is too negative for too long, people will throw in the towel and you could go for another leg down. But again, you've got to be flexible in your mind enough to understand that it's going to rally at some point. It's going to rally hard. And you just don't know when. I just wanted to comment on a couple things. When we go off the bottom, that's what Don was talking about. How do you get back in? Okay. So he said that he doesn't want to lose more than 0.2% on any position size. So how does he do that? Well, something that's more volatile, he cuts down his position size. Something that's less volatile, you have a bigger position size. And what that does is it effectively equalizes each position in the portfolio. Because it's not just about portfolio construction. I mean, about the individual positions, it's about the overall portfolio construction. For instance, if we want to go long the S&P, now a lot of people use SPY, but you, we use SPLG because it's a lower, lower cost structure. It costs, it, it, the internal cost of it is a lot lower, but it's the S&P 500. Well, if we do a 15% position of that, we could do a double 7.5% position of SSO, right? Or we could do 5% UPRO, which is three times the S&P. And you have the exact same effect on the portfolio. What's the difference? If you use the leverage, it frees up 15 or 20% of the portfolio to roll those short-term treasury bonds making 3.5%. So a lot of times those leverage can be very, very good tools. They're not super risky if you know how to use them. Now, if you don't know how to use them, they're playing with kryptonite fire. I mean, you're playing with nitroglycerin, right? Don't play with leverage or inverse leverage if you don't know what you're doing or get someone to show you how. But position size is key. Now, Don said when he tries to get back in and he considers a serious toe dip, if you will, getting back in in the market, 30% or more. You know, there have been a couple times when he was talking about all those different times he tried to get back in. A couple times he just took one or two 2% positions in stocks. He was talking about 4 or 5%. And the market reversed right away and we got rid of them. It was almost nothing, right? But when he took more significant positions, 
he'll start getting in, and if it works, he'll start getting in more, but he's got some gains built in the first buy. So even if the market reverses hard 4 or 5% quickly in a, day, a couple days, it'll only impact the total portfolio by 1%. So it's a very mathematical way of getting, trying to get back in because you don't know, you only know with hindsight whether this is the real one, okay? But you got to be able to have rules to get back out so you don't get back another 10%, which actually happened this year once. Not us, but the market. The market was down. The S&P was down a little over 20. It came down to being down over 12, and then it sold right back off again, and it was down over 20 again. And we only had a 2% deal there, you know, a couple times. So it's much, it's very um, systematic, and it's very calculated. So if you ever want to learn, if, folks, if you want to learn something about that, Please reach out to us. We'd be happy to, to share how we do that and, and how we manage very much. We manage risk first, and the, the returns take care of themselves. Folks, listen, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor. Just send them to revereasset.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. They can just hit subscribe, put in their name and email address. We won't spam them or reach out. It's up to, up to them to reach out to us. And say, and there's a contact button too. You can contact us and say, hey, I'd like a complimentary portfolio review. You can reach out to any of us, Dan at revereasset.com, Don, Michael, or Ted at revereasset.com. And you can also call us old school at 855 Real Wealth. And if we can get a copy of Don's show, if, if, I mean, his, his uh, educational thing with the students. Um, if we're able to get that and, and, and post that, uh, we will let you know. Yeah, Folks, I, I'd like to see that. Oh, it, yeah. it's gonna, it'll, it'll be good. It'll be up. good. Folks, have a good weekend, and we'll talk to you next week on Your Money. Because it's not how much you make in the markets, it's how much of that you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.